you. I think the kids can be uh, excused to go to junior church. But take number 11 and slide it down about that much. Well, good morning. How are you all doing? Uh, if you were here last week, uh, you will remember that we were in uh, second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we sort of got halfway through the section, and I told you that we were going to finish it off this week. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Before we get there, I'm going to sort of recap what we went over last week because it is foundational to what we're talking about this week. So 1 Peter chapter 2, and I've got here starting at the beginning of the chapter, this is what God's word says. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is is good. And so what we really talked about uh, last week is that if you were to read through the book of First Peter, you would notice that there is a series of repeated words, or rather one word repeated uh, throughout every single section, and it is the word called. And that word is incredibly important to our understanding of the book of First Peter. Peter is talking to a bunch of early Christians. He is talking to those who are already saved about their calling. And so what we looked at last week is that there are three sort of types of calling. First is an eternal call to Christ. And what this is, it means your salvation. This is what this is specifically talking about. It is an eternal calling. And what we believe in the Salvation Army is that God, out of sight of eternity, looked down on earth and said, I want to adopt these people into my kingdom for all eternity. And so he sent the Holy Spirit with something called provenient grace into our lives to start tapping you on the shoulder and say, no, pay attention to God, pay attention to God, pay attention to God. And finally, when we couldn't stand the Holy Spirit pestering us anymore, we said, all right, God, what is this all about? And we made the decision to follow Christ. And so our eternal calling is that of salvation. And we'll get to it a little bit later on, but Scripture says that those who are in Christ Jesus have been adopted into his family. And so you and I, as Christians, are sons and daughters to Jesus Christ. And so that's the, the first type of calling that we talked about last week, was an eternal call to Christ. The second one was a temporary call to an assignment and if you've ever had a part-time job, you know uh, that that job isn't going to last forever. You know what a temporary assignment is. And a lot of times in ministry, God presents us with a temporary assignment in the church that says you are going to serve in this place for a season and we get so comfortable in it that what we do is we stay there for the rest of our lives even though God only called us there temporarily. And so without the, throughout the church, there are people who are stuck uh, in these positions that were only supposed to be temporary because God wanted to call you to bigger and better 
things. He wanted you to serve in greater capacities. He didn't want you just to stay comfortable for the rest of your existence. And so the second type of calling was a temporary call to assignment. And the third type was a daily call to a different standard. This sermon series is called Different, and it is based on this concept that as Christians, God has called you to live your life differently to those who are non-Christians. And one of the things that we uh, well, that marks us as different is our behaviors. So when something happens to you, how do you act? How do you react to a person? And so those are the three things that we sort of looked at last week. Uh, and then we talked a bit about uh, the, the middle verses, which I won't go over too much, was Christ being the cornerstone of which all of that is built on. So none of that is about you, your behavior, your merits, your self-worth. All of that is built upon the work and person of Jesus Christ. That Christ is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of our beliefs, which means for us here, if we don't read it in Scripture, we don't practice or believe it. If we don't find it within Scripture, it's either in a conceptual state or in a written state, we don't practice it. Because everything that we do, we want to be based upon Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. So that was all last week. So now if you move over here to verse 9, we're going to get into this week. And if last week was talking about Christ, this week is talking about you. And I know these are your favorite types of sermons. It's always uh, amazing that it's when the, uh, the newcomers are here that I get to, to fall on a sermon about yelling and screaming at you. Um, it doesn't happen every week. But it does happen. Verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, meaning Jesus or God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if you don't believe me, we're going to spend most of our time on that one verse this morning because it is... Uh, vitally important to your understanding of what a Christian is and how a Christian should behave and function. Um, there are things that you see all the time of Christians acting really weird or acting really strangely or acting counterintuitively to what Scripture says. And what I want to show you today is that there is a certain way that Christians should act. So we're going to first focus in on this idea of being royal. Uh, I'm from Australia. As being from Australia, we are still part of the monarchy under the Queen, so we know a little bit about royalty. For the few Canadians that are here, I know you, you understand me. For those that a couple of hundred years ago decided you were going to throw off the, the yokes of oppression, let me tell you a little bit about royalty and the way royalty acts. Royalty is not Kim Kardashian. That's not how royalty behaves. Okay? That's over here. Put that in your mind as a bad example. If you were to study the royal family, the way they behave is very, very straightforward and accordance to a certain set of rules. There are rules that dictate uh, who you can spend time with, who you can go out and eat with, uh, how, what you should wear in public. And all of these rules are designed to focus attention on the fact that you are different than everyone else. If you are royalty, you are different from everyone else. And what God says here, what, sorry, what Peter says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talking to Christians, is that we are a royal nation. We are different than everyone else. And if you just want to take that as the standard, that a royal person is different than a non-royal person, 
they act differently. And so in the case of humanity, in the case of uh, our civilization, royalty acts in a certain way. They have a position of power and a position of authority over a certain uh, peoples or nation or tribe or tongue. It doesn't really matter how you define it, but they have a position of power and authority that makes them different than people who are not. And what Peter is trying to say here is that as Christians, we not, don't necessarily have an innate authority about our humanity, but we have an inherited authority through Jesus Christ. See, here's, here's the truth of Scripture, is that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, anything that you ask in my name, I'm going to do. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will be able to move mountains. There is an innate power or an inherited power and authority that comes from being a child of God. Scripture tells us that that authority comes from being adopted as sons and daughters into the power of Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. The next uh, really important word there is the word priesthood. Now I know what a lot of people think when they think priest, you think Catholic church, you think a weird guy with a collar, um, dressed all in black robes that you have to go to and do confession, right? If I say priest, that's the first mental picture that comes into your mind, right? Wrong mental picture that was co-opted by the Catholic Church for the last 2,000 years. Let's get a better mental picture into your mind. When Peter is saying this, he's actually quoting from the book of Exodus. If you were to turn in your, your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapter 20, you'll read the story of the Ten Commandments. Moses going up the mountain, receiving the Ten Commandments, from God. Chapter 19 ends with God talking to Moses and then Moses telling his people, the Israelites in the wilderness, that they are going to be a royal priesthood, that they are a chosen people. And so Peter here is quoting the Old Testament saying that what was inherited through the Israelites is now applicable to Christianity. And so if we want to look at what a priest is and how a priest functions, we actually need to look some three and a half thousand years ago to the original priests of the ancient world. And what a priest was, was a person who represented God to the people around them. That's it. There's no uh, extra hoops to jump through. There were no ordinations back then. There were no special robes. If you were a priest, it simply meant that you were going to represent God to the people around you. You picked a God in those days. It wasn't the God of Israel. Uh, it, there was a pantheon of other deities that people worshipped. Say, I was going to worship the grain God. I would find out what that grain God was like, and then I would tell people about him. I'd say, yeah, if you offer this chicken on this particular day, at this particular time, then he's going to bless you, and if you don't, he's going to curse you, and your crops are going to fail. I would tell you the nature and characteristics of my God. And I have to tell you that the definition of priest used in Scripture is exactly the same when referring to Christians. It's our job as Christians to tell people about the nature and character of our God. That's it. And that's what Peter means when he says a priesthood of all believers. All believers are in the priesthood because a priesthood is simply you telling people what your God is like. If you have met Jesus for real and he has radically changed your life, you should want to tell people about that. You should, if you have met the one true God of the universe, the God who spoke all of existence into, uh, into existence, he spoke everything into existence simply by being, wouldn't you want to tell people about that? 
wouldn't you want to say, hey, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about the nature of my God. And here's why three and a half thousand years ago that was so radically different in every other religion at that time. Uh, they were called polytheistic religions. That means many gods. These gods were worshipped through horrendous sacrifices. Uh, and if you wanted to know about the character and nature of God, it was simply do as he says or he's going to smite you dead. Do as he says or he's not going to bless you. Don't, you, you're never going to know him, you're never going to know his name, you're never going to know his personality. Simply all you need to know about that particular God is if you don't do what you're told, boom, you're gone. And when Moses is introducing the Israelites brand new as a nation to the nature and character of God, one of the verses that is used most often is that our God is quick and abounding in love and mercy. It was a completely different story to what the people of Israel had encountered specifically in their captivity in Egypt. In Egypt, they had found all of these gods who were worshipped through horrendous practices, who were worshipped uh, in ways that really even defy our imaginations. And that was their experience with gods and with power. And Moses says, no, there's a different way. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about his love. Let me tell you about his mercy and his grace. And I have to tell you, there is nothing changed about our God in three and a half thousand years. He is still quick to forgive, abounding in love and slow to anger. The God that Moses worshipped on Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments from is the same God that we worship. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So now we're going to look at the word holy. Holy is a fantastic word. It's found throughout scripture. Uh, it's found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Obviously, it switches language from Hebrew to Greek, uh, but it is the same word with the same meaning, uh, and it means so much to the Salvation Army that we're actually part of what's called a holiness movement. And so this particular word, holy, is important to the Salvation Army, but I believe uh, important to Christianity in general. The word simply means set apart. That's it. See, a lot of people who don't know what the word means think when you hear the word holy, oh, that means I never sin, I never stumble, I never trip up, I never do anything wrong, I've got to be perfect my entire life in existence. That's what holy means. But that's not what holy means. The word holy simply means set apart. That's what it means in the Hebrew, and it's what it means in the Greek. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word kadesh. In Greek, it is the uh, same word that we use, uh, we get the word saint from. The word saint is the word for holy and all of its derivations. In fact, that's where we get the word sanctified from. When you go to a church and they have a sanctuary, it's the same word. It means set apart. This is a sanctuary. It simply means a set apart place. That is all that it means. Now, again, going back a couple of thousand years and, and Peter is using this language to evoke these memories of the Jewish people. And so one of the very first places that was sanctified to the Lord was the temple in Jerusalem. There were rules and regulations for going into the temple. If you uh, had any sickness, you weren't allowed into the temple because they wanted to keep it clean and pure. Uh, if you were a certain gender, you could only go so far. If you were a certain uh, uh, of the tribes of Israel, only one tribe could go in even further. And then from there, only one man out of that one tribe, out of that one gender, out of that one race could go into God's presence. The temple was the first built structure that was wholly sanctified. 
But here's what's really interesting. When you read through the book of Leviticus, it says that even the instruments that they used in the temple were sanctified to the Lord. And so uh, what I want to look at really briefly right here is the fact that when you, when you think of the word set apart, most people think, I am set apart from something. And this comes from uh, the writings of Paul when he says, be in the world, but not of the world. Be set apart from the world. And so most of us think that uh, if we're to be Christians, what it simply means is to separate ourselves from those who are sinning. We need to separate ourselves. They're sinning over here, and I need to be over here in my group that doesn't sin. And we need to be separate. And uh, there's more details in there that I don't have time to go into, but that's the basic understanding of what set apart means. It's not wrong, but it's not full. You also have to be set apart for something. When God spoke to the Israelites in the wilderness and he said, I want you to make me a golden lampstand. This lampstand is going to be yay high. It's going to have X amount of candles in it. Uh, you're going to put it in the holies of holy. It is going to be sanctified. It is going to be used for something. That candlestick wasn't just stuck in the corner and never touched again. You want to put it in modern equivalent terms. God didn't save you to sit in a pew and not do anything with your salvation. God set you apart from the world, but he set you apart for a purpose. I'm really getting tired of having conversations with Christians who think it's my job and only my job to stand up here and preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. I get this gig for 30 minutes on Sunday morning. What are you doing with your time? What are you using your time for? Think about it. If you were set apart from the world, so you're set to a higher standard, you've been called to live a different life, but you have been called to do something with it, what are you doing? What are you doing? Who are you telling about Jesus? See, that's not the right answer. You think it's fun, but it's not. And that's the point. If you think that being a Christian, being set apart for something, is coming here on a Sunday morning and spending one hour in this building, and that's it, you're missing out. God wants you to do something with your life that doesn't have anything to do with sitting in these pews. Don't get me wrong. Come and sit in these pews and learn more about Jesus, about his nature, his character, and his love for you. But then do something with that information. Talk about him. Go out. Tell people about Jesus. If you have met Jesus, radically met Jesus, and he has changed your life, and he has called you out of darkness, and he has called you into his glorious light, and he has changed you and made you different, you need to tell people about that. Too often I see Christians who think that it's my job simply to do that. It's not. What are you set apart for? What are you set apart for? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you can proclaim the excellencies of God. This is Peter, the apostle, speaking to Christians. Not Peter speaking to other disciples or other apostles or other church leaders. He is talking to what we would now refer to as laymen or lay persons in the church. He's talking to church members saying, you need to go out and proclaim the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness and into his glorious 
white. John says this in his gospel, talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness of not, has not overcome us. Uh, overcome it. If you are in darkness, Jesus calls you out of that into his light, which is his presence, and into the knowledge of him. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. And he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So when I say that you've been adopted into the family of God, this is one of the verses that I'm using as a reference, that you, as a Christian, have been called out of darkness, into light, into the family of God, that you can call Jesus Christ brother, and that you can call the eternal God your father, and that you are in that family. Once you were not a people. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when you speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is really simple. Live your life in such a way that when someone looks at you, they say, oh yeah, they're a Christian. When someone looks at you, they say, oh yeah, God has done a work in their life. Live your life in such a way that when someone who is non, a non-Christian looks at you, they say, man, there's something different about that person. There's something different about that man and that woman. Live your life in such a way that that difference uh, of Christ Jesus in your life brings people to know Jesus. That they say, that, that person acts so differently. They act with such joy and with such kindness to others, with such love and such mercy that I want to know more about the person that they worship. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be honorable. It's not a word we use uh, a lot in, in our society anymore, this concept of honor. Live honorable lives, which means don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. It means don't slander on other people, don't be malicious with your gossip. Go, uh, your gossip. In fact, don't gossip at all. Don't live a life that when people look at you, they say, man, is that what Christianity is? I don't want to have anything to do with that. It leads me to a question then, if I was to put it into specifics, and again, like I said earlier, I believe that Scripture is the foundation for everything that we preach and teach here. And so if you were to turn to the, the book of Micah, chapter 6, starting in verse 7, it will say this, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So before I get to verse 8, which sort of rounds this out, Everyone loves quoting verse 8. If I, I don't know if you've ever, uh, how long you've been 
in the church, however, I can guarantee that if it's been longer than six months, you found verse 8 on a coffee cup somewhere, or on a bumper sticker, or on a t-shirt. Guaranteed that once we get there, you'll be like, oh yeah, I recognize that. I've been to youth councils, I've been to officer councils, uh, I have been to men retreats, and even women's retreats, and this has been the theme in a whole, all of them, right? This thing, but they always skip over verse 7 because it doesn't really jump out at you because it uses a little bit of arcane language. When I was talking earlier about the temple that sat in Jerusalem, uh, they wanted to know what, what Micah is talking and what God is talking through the prophet Micah is saying simply this. Do you think God is pleased with all of your sacrifices if they don't come from a place of true repentance? If you're not acting like a Christian, do you think God is pleased with the fact that you come in and sit in a pew on Sunday morning? If you are not, when you are out in the world representing Christ and showing people here the nature and character of your God and you're not doing it well, do you think that God is pleased when you then come in and give him a sacrifice of praise? Will the Lord be pleased with all of these sacrifices? Micah says this, he has told you, O man or O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Some people get real confused as how a Christian should behave. Here it is, real simple. Do justice. When you see an injustice, stand up against it. In your actions, when you're dealing with other people, act with justice. Love, kindness. Be kind. How many Christians have you met who aren't kind? And I'm not talking about the fact that I stand up here and yell at you for half an hour. That's my version of kindness. <laughs> I love you enough that I don't want you to go to hell. That's my kindness. But how many Christians have you met who aren't kind? Who just aren't nice people? Like you all must have met some saints in your time. Because I've met some Christians uh, in my stint of Christianity who are not kind people. They're stuck up, they're self-centered, they just want to do that, and it's just ridiculous. Be kind. And not just be kind, but love kindness. Encourage kindness in others. And finally, walk humbly with your God. I'll say this over and over and over and again. Your salvation is not based on your merit. You have absolutely nothing in your life that you can hang your hat on that says, this is the reason that God saved my soul. God looked at you out of eternity and said, I'm sending my son Jesus to die for you. Romans 5.8 says that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That has nothing to do with you or your behavior. I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm talking about spiritual transformation. And so part of your Christian walk is not only to seek justice in everything you do and to be kind to everyone that you meet, but also to walk humbly with your God. To say, you know what, you're right. There's nothing in me that warrants salvation. But let me tell you about my God who loves me anyway. You want to be a Christian. You want to make this real. Seek justice love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And if you do those three things, you will be a good priest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time you've given us to come together today.
and to worship and to praise your name. I pray, Lord God, for everyone here that you be with us, that in our actions and our interactions this week, that you guide us, that you help us to be a true reflection of Christianity to the world around us. That as we move through our friends and our family and our co-workers, we can pursue justice, we can love kindness, and that we can walk humbly with you as our God and Father. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to invite Lenora to lead us in our priestly breast blessing. I'm, that's what I'm calling it, and you can't change it. Priestly breast blessing.